Thank you so much, Adam. And we have an awesome sound team, awesome guys, and so they're just repairing my one mic. I'll use this one. Until then, let me try this now. Testing, testing. Ah, there we go. You got me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jansen. Well, as uh, as Adam uh, mentioned, we had he said we had a healing time yesterday. We actually had a time where we'd taken uh, the people that are that are leading ministries and life groups here and and in Waterloo uh, away on a, a one day retreat. So a bunch of us are are quite tired this morning. It was an amazing day where we were able to meet with God and and uh, and and just be with one another, encourage one another. And uh, so, you know, you find that as you're in life groups or meeting with different leaders this week, that they have an extra vision or and are refreshed uh, because they've just been able to spend some time together with God. We are starting a new series this morning. We uh, just finished last week talking about the the, the um, pruning effects, really, and the what the things that can be found in grief and loss. And now we are going to chat about a very different topic, and that is what what makes a mature Christian? So when I say that, you know, what is a mature Christian? What comes to mind for you? Feel free to yell it out. Discernment. Wise. Kind. Lifestyle. Sorry? Humility. Forgiveness. Sorry? Servant. And love. Patience. Sorry? Balance. Balance. These are all really great things that people are, are throwing, are throwing out. And the interesting thing, all of these are very much a part of, of maturity in Christ. Scripture talks about our, our maturity, you know, being the, the measure of maturity that we should be using is love. Now, it's not to say that any of the other things that you've thrown out are, are not important. The difficult thing is, is that so often we excuse a lack of love because we view maturity in a completely different way. And it's really important for us that we use a biblical definition of love. We understand what love actually is because again, in our society, we have all, you know, love, we have this one word that means a lot of different things, right? You know, and we can talk about love and it can be romantic love or we can talk about love and it actually would mean lust. We can talk about love and and it's a feeling. But scripture talks about love in a, a very important way. You know, and it talks about love and, and actually in Greek there are like five different words we use for love in the in the New Testament. But the primary definition of love is it's not that that it's a romantic love, it's a committed love. They talk about a brotherly love or a social and moral commitment to somebody. And so when we talk about love, as scripture talks about love, it's not just a feeling. It's not like a tingling we get when we think about God. It's not, it's not, you know, a, well, I like this person and so I love this person. 
It's saying that when we're to love one another, we're to have this commitment to one another. That where we want the best for one another, where there is a, there is a, you know, we're, we're committed to helping one another. It's, it's, it's a social commitment or contract. So I'm going to read a few scriptures on this. This is Matthew 22, verse 20, verses 35 to 40. And, and this morning, I really want scripture to talk to us. So here we have the experts in the law. We've had the Sadducees that are there with, that are challenging Jesus. And it says, one of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? So this is referring to the Old Testament. He's going, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment there? And so Jesus now replies, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, which he's quoting from Deuteronomy. And then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, the second is like this. And then he quotes again from the Old Testament. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then goes, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So just saying, look, with the Old Testament, it's all about love. It's about loving God and it's about loving your neighbor as yourself. If you were to sum it all up, love God with all your heart, mind and spirit, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the Old Testament teaches us what love for God actually looks like. You know, we've got in our society right now, one of the common sayings of the progressive, you know, progressive nature of our society is love is love. Love is love. That is not true. Love, you know, just going love is love. What does that mean? What do you mean by love? When you say love is love, what do you mean? Because in some cases, it means that any type of sexual expression is love. But that's not love. That's saying lust is lust. Sexual gratification is sexual gratification. That's not love. And we have, oh, it's like, oh, well, I, I love, you know, I, I, people, I love everybody. Really? Would you lay your life down for everybody when they offend you? Are you, are you going to bless them when they curse you? you no, know, what is, what is this, what is this thing that in our society we call love actually is? Because if we don't understand what love is, then we're not going to understand these scriptures. And we, and we don't understand what mature Christianity is if we don't understand what love is. So this thing that we're examining over this month is so important to us in our society. Because our society is filled with half-truths. And the church has been so affected by the world that it's filled with half-truths. And we no longer know sometimes what God is actually saying to us. Because when we read that the entire Old Testament can be summed up by going, love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself, it's like, okay. But that means there's a lot of things there that we would go, whoa, how is that love? How is that love? I'm not going to go on a deep dive on that. I'm going to leave that as a, a thing for us to think about. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8 to 10, it says, Peter writes and he says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So I'm going to say it again. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. You know, I was, I was debating, I, I won't use a name. There's someone in our community that comes to mind when I, when I read this scripture. And, uh, you know, this, this person is just wonderful. And they have, they have lots of stuff they could complain about. You know, by there's there, there's different things in their life that have been difficult, and yet they choose simply to be grateful and simply to love. And you know, this person, anytime I'm talking to them, they've been off visiting somebody, they're, they've been off connecting with someone, they've been serving different people in different ways, it could be cleaning someone's house, it could be just visiting someone that's sick or calling and praying for someone, and they're always busy, you know, doing different things, and they're always loving. And what I never hear from this person is, you know, I did these things for someone, but they didn't do anything back for me. I never hear from them, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not being loved very well by people. I just see them loving. And without actually a thought about how they're loved back or whether they are. Now, people really do love and appreciate the person, but that's never part of their discussion. It's never something they talk about. And it's unfortunate because there's so often, you know, there's the scripture where Jesus talks about before we try to pick the speck out of somebody else's eye, we've got to take the log out of ours. And and too often, and throughout you know the many many years of being in the church, and too often in my own life, I I worry about how people or I hear people talking about how people aren't loving them well, right? And I something that. I'm not saying it's a right now thing for me. It's something that I've had to grow through. As, you know, and grow through, through insecurities and things like that. But when I was younger, it was a real big deal. Like, are people loving me? And it was an insecurity feeling like that I wasn't lovable, all these different things. And so all I worried about is how well I was being loved. You know, well, are people appreciating me? Things along these lines. And fortunately, God brought me through that. But it's often a thing where we are busy judging the fact that people don't love us well. But the difficulty is... <laughs> With that, the scripture doesn't say, you know, you'll be a mature Christian when people love you well. It says that we'll be mature Christians when we love well, when we love well. You know, and unfortunately, there's so often people that I know that have been Christians for decades, and they're still, as scripture would say, on spiritual milk because they're too focused on how people are loving them. And they're actually, and that's stopping them from loving others. Stopping them from just selflessly giving themselves away. Now, so often in these cases, there's something, there's a hurt, there's a pain, there's a fear, there's a belief in our lives that's, that's doing that. People, no one does that from a standpoint of, of, well, I'm just going to do it this way. There's, there's, there's reasons for it. But it's so important that we allow God in to those things. 
And we ask God, people to pray for us on them. And we're open, not with everybody, but with a few people. Say, look, I'm really struggling in this area. Can you pray for me? There's something, obviously, that needs to get healed in my life where I need to let God in because I just, I've, I'm, I'm way too focused on people not loving me. And we can't be focused on loving others when we're being self-centered, Right? And this brings me back to this whole love is love thing. Because the love is love thing in our society is 100% self-centered. It's all about me. I'm going to love who I want to love. I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. Who, no one can tell me what to do. You know, God certainly can't tell me what to do. Society better not tell me what to do. Everyone just better accept me for who I am. And that is not love. That's self-centeredness. That is what happens when a society... It's amazing what Scripture talks about because Scripture basically says once a society becomes completely self-centered, these are the different things that are going to manifest in it. Sexual immorality, greed, anger, witchcraft, adultery, all these different things. The flesh goes wild when it is allowed to just center on itself. And we live in a society of individualism. We live in a society that has no concept of what real love is, but has substituted self-centered gratification and calls that love. Whether that is sexual expression, whether that's material expression, whether that's your bank account, your career, whatever. I mean, it's been an interesting thing in our society. And when I look at Western society from the 60s on with the sexual revolution that happened here, where, it be, you know, love is love became free expression if I can have sex with whoever I want to. You know, whenever I want to, where there were social boundaries in place before those boundaries in the in the 60s went away. And with those boundaries things. So then suddenly dating became, well, I'm just going to date as many people as I want to. It's an interesting thing in our culture that in our culture, we practice divorce and we encourage our teenagers to do that. Go and date someone, and when you don't want to be with them anymore, break up with them, right? Go and sleep with someone, is a message of our society, you know, a message in our school system, experiment sexually with people, develop a sexual bond with them, and then break it when it's no longer convenient for you anymore. And so then we tell people to do that in a serial nature under the prospect of love is love, and then wonder why no one is able to bond. Why are we so lonely? Why are we mentally ill? Why is it that in our society, we are in this place where, you know, people don't even want to get married anymore. Listen, we'll just live together and while it's convenient. And then when it's no longer convenient anymore, you know, we don't even want the hassle of divorce. Let's just, we'll live together. And then when it doesn't work, we, we, we break up. Why? Because we're self-centered and we don't know what love is. So it's like, I love you when it's a feeling. And God created us for love. He created us for union. He created man and woman to be together and for that to be a husband and wife to be together for their lifetime. He created the sexuality in a really healthy way and a sexual bond to be something that isn't, you know, that isn't just serially broken with all kinds of other people. And so when it's created this way, you know, on a, in, in, and this is, I'm talking about in a sexual nature, it is, 
it's this wonderful thing where people are bonded to one another. It's part of that bonding process. And that's only one type. That's eros. That's only one type of love. But this thing in friendship as well, in relationship, in community. We treat, you know, our society says, hey, look, if you don't commit to each other, don't commit to a community, be there as long as it's convenient for you. You know, we say that about, about everything in our society. It's, it's going, what is going to fulfill me is the message of our society. That's not love. If we are the church, you know, and we're meant to be different than the world. So I can do a whole deep dive into the world, but let's talk about how we're meant to be as Jesus followers, followers of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we are one body. Now, this is one aspect of that body, this one family, you know, there. But within, you know, it's very difficult if there's a billion Christians in the world for us to be connected to all of them, especially geographically all over the place. But we are meant to love each other as we're together in a community, which means that love thing doesn't mean that I have this affectionate feeling towards every person. It's not possible. It's not the way it's meant to be. But it is that I want the best for everyone. That we sacrifice for one another as, you know, in a, in a healthy way. That we're committed to one another. That when one of us is hurting, that we're like, hey, how can we help? That we're able to be, it's where this thing, Adam was talking about life groups. They're, they're a way for it to be in a smaller group where you're connected to people. But unfortunately, the Western church has modeled itself after the world. And so we're more like a, you know, a motivational speaking, public speaking, rock concert scenario where people are like, look, I want to go somewhere on Sunday because I know I'm supposed to do that. And and so I go and do that. But I don't want to have to have a connection with people that's really inconvenient. And I've been hurt in the past or or I'm too busy or whatever is going on in my life. So I just want a place to go. And I just want a place to go and listen to a sermon, remind me of God, and then go back to my my life and that has been promoted in our society as what church is i'm not i'm not speaking to any of you here i'm not saying that's anyone's attitude here it's the general thing though that's promoted and why do we know that's promoted because the things we look up to are things like elevation and things like hillsong things like you know these big mega church things and we look at those as success in our society like if i was a non-christian looking at social media or christian media i would think the pinnacle of christianity is a big church with a popular speaker and a really good band what i wouldn't think is the most important thing is love it would be very difficult if you were an outsider to go well yes the church the thing that marks the church based on what i see is love and if they don't even understand what love is it's going to be even harder and so i say all this to us you know, it's not, this is not a rebuke. This is not a, this is not me going, hey, so you better get it together. It's a thing that we can reflect on, be able to go, okay, hold on. What, what, what do I think love is? You know, what do I think love is? And am I willing to be a true follower of Jesus and be connected to other people? Those other people are going to hurt me. They're going to disappoint me because they're human. You know, at times, at times it may be difficult. It tames to you not disagree, but our commitment to one another is to love each other. 
Jesus taught his disciples and saying, look, it's great that you love the people that like you, but when, if you really want to be like God, you've got to love your enemies too. Right? So that means, as opposed to like, well, this person hurt me, so I'm not coming to church, we go, that person hurt me, Lord, you help heal me, and how can I bless that person? Right? It's, that's Christian maturity. Christian maturity isn't that when we get offended or hurt by someone that we just like, oh, no, everything's fine. I'm not. It's that actually, no, we we work that through. And whether that working through is talking to someone to get healing ourselves so that we can then go and speak to somebody or whatever that thing looks like. But it's that it is it's it's hey, we're committed to working things through so that we do want the best for one another. And we can only work things through to the extent that we're willing to. Right? Like, I can't force, if, if, if Joel gets angry at me, it's a great example because he doesn't, you know? <laughs> well, I'm not saying he doesn't, I'm like, that's if I'm perfect, but he's not at the moment. <laughs> I don't think, you know? <laughs> you know? I, if, if, if I won't work it out with him, he can't force me to, and I can't force him to. You know, and he's my son. And, and certainly, I can't force my wife to work something out with me. I can't force anyone here to. All I can do is get the log out of my own eye and go, what have I done wrong? How do I repent? How do I do things? I can't, you know, and if I repent and the other person doesn't, it's not that now I'm self-justified. and Look at how bad that person is. If that's my thinking, I haven't got love yet. I haven't figured it out. You know, the thing of love is... It's, it's where we go, hey, regardless of how people treat me, I want them to be blessed. Regardless of what happens, I want the best for people. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 21. John wrote a lot about love. <laughs> Interestingly enough, John wrote that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. You know? <laughs> He never says it by name, but it's very much implied. So in, in not, not the gospel of John, but in one of John's, the first letter of John, one John, we're going to read from verse four to seven to 21. And it says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as atoning an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, when John writes, no one has seen God, it's actually a connection back to his gospel of John, 1 John 18, where he talks about the fact no one has seen the Father but that, you know, we have the incarnation of God, Jesus Christ. 
Verse 13, he says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What John's referring there to, if we have confidence in Jesus, that he was the son of God, that he paid for all sins at the cross, that he is the savior of the world, if we will acknowledge that, it's not just when we, there's other, depending on your translation, I'll say words like confess and acknowledge. And it sounds like it's just, well, if I say those words, but it's not that. It's like a legal, like I'm confessing in court that I'm guilty. You know, I'm confessing my sins and my need for forgiveness from Jesus. I recognize that I have a need for Jesus and that he truly is the one. It's not just words. It's a, it's a mental attitude. It's an attitude of the heart that says, if I truly believe that what Jesus has done at the cross is final, that he's fully paid for my sins, that he's fully set right my relationship with God, then I no longer have anything to fear. Right? I don't have to fear. When we, when people preach a fear of God in the wrong way, we, you know, God is all powerful. But what Jesus has done means we do not need to fear God if we know His love. Right? Now, knowing God's love and then living whichever way we want to is not a knowing of His love. Right? So this isn't a thing to go, so that means I can sin in any way, way I want to. I can live whichever way I want to because God loves me and he's totally permissive and he just lets me do whatever I want to do. No, that's self-centeredness. That's selfishness. That is not love. That's a total lack of understanding of God's love. It's not knowing him. But when we know him, when we understand who God is, when we're willing to submit and surrender to him because we know what Jesus has done for us, then there is no fear. And we're made perfect by the love of God in that place because we don't need to fear God. We're walking as children adopted into his family with a loving father that wants the best for us, is not looking to just punish and throw us away, but is saying, hey, I will prune you, I will discipline you, I will help you on this journey because I'm making you perfect in my love. I'm making you perfect in my love. We love because he first loved us, verse 19. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Just because God's bringing it to mind, I want to... Repent of something. Like I use the name of a few different churches. I'm not commenting on them. I don't, I don't, I'm not commenting on them and saying they're bad. Please don't read the wrong thing into it. I'm not judging them. I'm, I'm going, 
when we have put organizational structure and and the number of people and the quality of the music as Christian perfection, we've missed the point. I cannot speak to the to the love or the maturity of people within that, and I'm not commenting on that. I'm going. We've we've made that the goal in the church world, right? So I, I just don't want the wrong thing communicated, nor the hey, I'm saying I'm judging those things or saying that they're bad or God's not there or not working. What I I do think is really sad in our society is that. We, you know, there was, there was recently, and I won't give a name, but a, a, a large local church and the leader was just fired because of, of um, a, an affair 10 years ago, which is tragic, right? Tragic that that happened. Tragic that that person didn't have anybody to turn to. Tragic that, you know, whatever led to, to all those circumstances. And so then the response of the church is, well, we're, we're going to cancel them. So wipe them off the website, fire them, pretend they never existed. That's not love. And it's not to suggest that there isn't a journey of, uh, with, you know, of, of, of repentance and discipline. But we don't just get rid of what we, you know, with people when they make a mistake. I'm not saying that person should have been staying in leadership or anything. There's not, it's not me saying something's wrong. But we have this weird thing in our society. It's like, I don't like that. Make it disappear. I don't like that. That's not love. You know, that's just another manifestation of the self-centered society where we go, you offend me. I don't like that. And that as opposed to me dealing with me, you need to go away. But we need to develop love says I need to deal with me. I need to deal with me. I have to if I if I can't deal with me, I can't love. And for us, again, this is not so we can now go point out, oh, well, this person or that person. It's about us. Letting, letting us go, God, how, oh, where, how, how am I doing in my marriage? Because let me tell you, as I'm preaching, I'm being convicted. Okay? I have an amazingly loving wife who puts up with me and wonderful children who put up with me. And I hope that I'm made complete in love before I die. And they don't have to wait for heaven for an element of that perfection. You know, but right now I'm highly imperfect. And they love me anyway. You want to know the saint in my family? Not me. Over there, you know. And she's trained my children up amazingly. Seth's still a bit of a work in progress, but... (laughs) If you're watching this video years later, I love you, buddy. <laughs> but, like, honestly, when I read this definition of love, when I'm reminded of what Christian maturity is, I'm like, oh, man, I fall short so often. And way too often I have a log in my own eye. I have a log in my own eye. But if we're going to let God make us mature in love, it can't be that we're worrying about how people love us. It's got to be how well are we loving. That's not saying we should be abused by people or hurt by people or used by people. That person who I used as an example before, they're also very good at setting boundaries. If people are taking advantage of their love, then they, then they, you know, set up, they set a healthy boundary with them. They don't, they don't reject them. They don't go, I don't want anything to do with this person. They're just like, oh, no, I can do this, but I can't, I can't go there. 
Because part of part of love is us understanding that God loves us. We've talked a bit about boundaries over the last few months and things like that. These are us having boundaries is healthy. Living self-centeredly is not. And we need to know the difference. Yeah? Want our, our ability to love being determined by how well another human loves us says we don't understand the source of love because the source of love is God. You know, we love because he first loved us, not because the other people around us loved us well. And, and some of we've gone through really difficult things. People here, maybe you've gone through really difficult family things, really difficult relational things, and we've been hurt. I've had that. I've been hurt really badly relationally at times. You know, things that really shocked me. And sometimes when after the fact, I realized, man, that was a whole lot of my fault. And, and, with that, the self-centered reaction is I just want to close myself off to people. I don't want to get hurt again. I don't, I, don't want, I don't want people to hurt me. I don't want to risk love or things along those lines. But God says, hey, hey, it's not about that. We love because he loved us first. And again, it's not about a feeling. We don't get to go, well, God, I just, I just don't have really a feeling for these people or, yeah, I don't, you know, like this person I like, but this person I don't. It's not about a feeling. It's about, I love it. I'm looking at, at one of the definitions and I'll, I'll elaborate on this in, in the coming weeks, kind of as an intro today. But these difference that, that it really is, it's a social contract. It's a moral commitment. Right? A social contract, a moral commitment to somebody. That's what love is. You know, you are, that's what happens in family. You are my brother. You are my sister. You know, I have a social contract, a moral commitment to you. You are my parents. I am your child. There's a social contract, a moral commitment. It's not just about a feeling. If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a social contract and a moral commitment to each other. The only way we, in this society, it's not going to be by knowledge We've tried it, right? The church has tried to use knowledge to transform the society, but knowledge just puffs us up, as Scripture says. Right? The only thing, the only thing that lasts is that, you know, we've tried with the whole prophetic and, and, and big gifts thing. Well, that'll be the thing that transforms society. Once they encounter, like, a miracle or things like that, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's it. Except in the Bible, we see Jesus clearly going, yeah, it's people that were chasing after him because of miracles going, you don't want me, you just want another miracle. And guess what happens? You know, it's like, okay, well, it's going to be about all the miracles we display to people. People still don't want Jesus. And, and actually, the only thing it says that's effective and the only thing that it says that will remain is love. You know, that we as a community would be known for our love. All those other things will be present as well. But what will hold people won't be miracles. It won't be knowledge. It won't be any of those things. The only thing that actually holds us together is love. And I would propose that maybe the reason the church in the West is so sick and dying is because actually it's become self-centered and it doesn't love well anymore. And we have the opportunity to change it. You know, many of you have come from other places to help change the West. God's brought you here from other countries. You know, with a plan and purpose for what you're going to do, the seeds you're going to plant, the people you're going to reach, and we're going to do that by loving well. But we need God's definition of love, not the world's definition of love. And we've got to understand that God first loved us. 
You know, if we love God, we will obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. So we can't say we love God and go, but I'm not going to do it, he says. We can't say I'm going to love God and then model our life after the world. We have to surrender and lay our life down. Go, God, you are God. I am not. I surrender to you. My life is yours. I love you. Amen. I'll finish there. Adam, I'll give it back to you. Well, I feel convicted as well. (laughs) Guys, I really hope that that challenged and encouraged you this morning. I really hope that it has inspired you as it inspired me this morning to check how well I am loving others and to not consider how well others are loving me. I hope that I can be a good lover. Can I say that? It's so great that God has given us that example of how to love well. And I love that there is so much love in this room already. And it's really highlighted for me as well. Like, Whenever I say I love something, am I also prepared to be saying I am committed to that thing? That's, uh, that's what I learned. Anyway, thanks everyone for coming. Don't rush off. Feel free to stay, practice loving each other as we fellowship. There are cookies. I just had one. It was really delicious, so uh, (laughs) I didn't want her to have a whole one, so we shared. (laughs) Um, But consider life groups. Consider being part of the community. If you, again, feel free to reach out. We would love to get to know you more. Um, Yeah, don't rush off. Stick around. Thanks, everyone, for being with us this morning. Have a wonderful week. You are loved by God, by other people, whether you know it or not. And, uh, yes, I encourage you to go out and love well this week. Amen.